You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Wonder how many of you are like me that I had one prayer request this morning and it was simply this Can someone turn up the temperature outside? Like, uh, it's, I guess it's January in Canada. Uh, I'm wishing, you know, never mind. You know I like, I like the heat, right? I like the heat. Listen, are you ready to have your best year ever? Now, why don't you, if you came with someone, turn to someone next to you, even if you don't know them, give them a fist bump and say, I'm going to have my best year ever this year. Just give them a fist bump. Go ahead, turn that to someone next to you. Because if you've noticed over these last number of weeks... The key to having your best year ever, we've, we've given you that key, right? Have you noticed that each week we've had three speakers? Every week we've had three speakers over this three-week series, and today will be no different. So three speakers over this three-week series, three times three equals nine, right? And nine times nine equals Dr. Van's age, correct. And then we know that eight plus one equals... 9, and 9 minus 0 equals 9, and there's 9 fruits of the Spirit, and Jesus died at the ninth hour, and this year is 2019. So the key to having your best year ever is? (sighs) You know, friends, if somebody gives you an easy formula... Something that somehow knits together to try to make sense of how to have your best year ever. You know what you can do with it. And we've tried to avoid that because really, it's not about some little formula that you'll work to have your best year ever. Do you remember what we taught in, verse, in week number one? Pastor Jan, uh, Pastor Gord, and uh, Pastor Dennis. They talked in the first week about this principle that Jesus taught. Now, here's what's true of 2019. Listen, it being your best year ever has little to do with what will happen to you. Listen, 2019 will have their moments. For some of us in this room, we're going to have some very challenging moments in 2019. For others, there'll be stressful moments, uncomfortable moments, great moments, fun moments, and warm moments. You know, 2019, 2018, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, You know, every year contains a little bit of a lot, right? It's little, having your best year ever has little to do with what will happen to us. But as we learned in in our first week, it has a lot to do with what will happen in us. So we set a priority in week one. The the three pastors who taught that first week, they, they grabbed the words of Jesus and they helped us to understand if we prioritize these things in our life, we could have our best year ever. Do you remember the words of Jesus? Jesus said simply this, seek the kingdom of God above, more than, above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Whoa. I mean, we could stop right there, right? Talk about prioritizing. Week one, Pastor Jan, Dennis, and Gord, they talked about this. Seeking the kingdom of God being the priority. Having Jesus at the center of life, the most important part of our life. And then living righteously. So what are our priorities? Seek the kingdom of God. Live righteously. I think we need to go over this again. What are the two priorities going into 2019 to make it our best year ever? Seek the kingdom of God. 
and live righteously. And if you need confidence, how is this for a confidence boost? And he will give you, can you say it with me? Everything you need. Now, if I asked you to write a list of everything you need in 2019, you don't know. Because you're not sure what you're going to encounter in 2019. But God knows. God knows exactly what you're going to face in this coming year. Whether you're online or right in this campus here, he knows exactly what every individual will face. And he promises this. If you'll prioritize my kingdom and you'll prioritize living righteous, I will give you everything you need. And then in week two, we learned that if once we set our priorities, we need to make some key investments in those priorities. Key investments. Because we learned that it's not what happens to us, but it's what happens in us and through us. Our investments are what we make in those kingdom priorities. So Pastor Keith and Pastor Austin and Pastor Richard last week, they talked about making strategic investments in these priority items. So what were the three areas he said to prioritize they gave us? One was serving. And you know, I, I heard from a number of you. Some of you who engaged in, uh, you went to onechurch.to serve, and you found a place to belong, a place to serve in the church community. Why? Because you were prioritizing the kingdom of God, and you wanted to serve into it. Uh, praying. Uh, don't miss next week. We're starting a brand new series. Pastor Keith and I are, are teaching called Skip the Small Talk, teaching you how to prioritize prayer and make it a part of your life, and then giving, using the resources that God gives you to invest in what? Your priority. Now, if it was that easy, we'd be all amazing. Because we do this all the time, every new year. Have you ever prioritized something like, I've done this in the new year, maybe you have. This year, I'm going to get in shape. I, it's going to be a priority to get in shape. And then I'll make a strategic investment in a gym membership, or an elliptical machine, or a weight bench, or whatever it is you make your investment in. How many know that you can set a priority and you can even make an investment, but you got to go to the gym? You have to climb onto that elliptical machine. You've got to sweat in order to meet your goal, your priority, right? This is the gap that usually causes us to get offline going into a new year. Usually, we have great intentions, and we hear that teaching two weeks ago, which was so excellent by Pastor Jan and Dennis and Gord, and we say, okay, yeah, I'm going to seek God's kingdom. I'm going uh, to live righteously. It doesn't mean perfectly, but I'm going to live in right standing with God, and then he'll take care of everything I need. I'm going to prioritize that. And then we hear last week that excellent teaching by Pastor Austin and Pastor Keith and Pastor Richard, and we say, okay, yeah, I'm going I'm to pray, I'm going I'm to serve, I'm going I'm to give, and we get all worked up. Then February comes and March comes, and you know, the habit isn't there. The follow-through doesn't happen. So that's what we're going to talk about today. How do you get it done? How do you do that? So pastor, in a moment, Pastor Dan's going to come, and he's going to tell us one of the key things to getting it all done is to go all in. It's not to go in with half measure, but to go all in with Jesus at the center of your life. And he's going to show you how we can do this and why that's a priority. But before he comes, Pastor Matt's going to come, and he's going to talk about this. And this is amazing, especially if you're setting a priority and making an investment. You're not going to do it alone in 2019. You, in fact, have a stronger partner. Now, I think a lot of us love God to partner with what we're doing. But he's going to challenge us. 
that actually in partnering with what God is doing, his priority, that's where you begin to feel the synergy of God coming alongside of you and helping you. And one of the principal things, and maybe the principal thing, yeah, the principal thing that God's mission is, is that he wants none of his creation to perish. He's about the restoration of all of his creation. Pastor Matt. This is my son Reuben, my eldest son, four-year-old. This is his favorite book. It's not a book, it's a Lego catalog. Basically, all the different Lego sets that are on sale, his favorite section, the Star Wars section. Yes, the Star Wars section. I couldn't be more proud. This is my boy, he's never even seen a Star Wars movie. He just instinctively knows that the right thing to do is to love the Star Wars section. So last, last fall, he comes to me and he said, Dad, I want to build a Star Wars ship. And I said, we don't actually own any of them, Reuben. And he said, but I really want to do it. So I tried to improvise. I pulled out my phone. We started looking up some images of different Star Wars ships. And he came across this one. The Galactic Empire's Imperial Star Destroyer. It's a great name, eh? So, okay, let's do it, Ruben. We pulled out the Lego. We dumped it all out. You're not supposed to do that, but this it was important. So we did. We dumped it all out, and we're starting to build it. And it's coming together. And I must say, I was feeling like this was, this was going really well. And it was only a couple minutes later that I realized I was the only one in the room. <laughs> and he had gone off to something else, and I was left building the Imperial Star Destroyer by myself. It did turn out really good. But has, has anyone ever done that to you? They've made a huge claim, I want to do this. And then you're the one who ended up finishing it? Well, you're in good company because God does that too. In fact, here's a perfect story to demonstrate this. Let me set the scene. God had chosen a man named Abraham, told him his family was going to be huge and be a blessing to all nations. And it was starting to happen, but not in the way that you'd expect. The family was very large. In fact, they were a nation themselves, but they had no country. And they were starting to be a blessing, but it was through slavery. And it was not good, and it was getting worse. And so God decides to intervene. He steps in. He's going to defend them. And his first step on his mission to defend them was to stop by uh, the rugged Middle Eastern wilderness where an Israel Israelite named Moses had escaped from Egypt, and he was hiding out there. And he told him the plan. This is what he said. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians. So what do you think is coming up next? If I'm Moses, I'm thinking, oh, this is really good. So, so God's going to say something like, Moses, I know you're, you're separated from your people. You don't know what's going on. I don't want you to miss out on this moment. So I got you ringside seats, the bottom of the pyramids. You're going to see firsthand me kick some serious butt. This is not what he says. This is what he said. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Oh, hang on a second. Can we just rewind that for a second? What did he say? I have heard them. I am concerned. I have seen. And even, he even says this. I have come down to rescue them. 
so I am sending you? That's, that's him rescuing them? He's saying to Moses, you build the Lego, right? But the more I learn about this, the more I realize this is the pattern. It's not the exception to the rule, it is the rule. And it keeps on repeating itself. I think it's safe to say that his plan is actually partnering. I could literally go through a list of people that we read about in the Bible over and over again, how God decided to partner with people and invited them into his story and, and get, entrusted them with, with parts of it. And you know their response was to try and often they failed and many times they let him down or even went their own way. And you know we could spend some time there, but I think it would be even better if you, in this year, if you're investing in the kingdom by reading the scripture in your own personal times, hopefully daily, then you could actually put on the lens of partnership. I'd invite you to do that. Go ahead and see, as you're reading, how many times God invites people to be a part of his mission. He, de he decides not to do it himself. He decides to include people in his mission. So see if you can do that in 2019. But I think the best example of partnering is Jesus. Of course it is. But this is where it gets really beautiful. He was the best partnership between God and man because he actually was God and man in the same being. It's pretty beautiful. And he was the only person who didn't screw up the mission. He was faithful. And he, he showed us how important he thought about the mission. In fact, we have a very clear statement from him when he says what the mission is for his followers. He tells, he tells it this way as recorded by one of his followers, Matthew. He says, Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's a big mission. I, hang on a second. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm supposed to do that? You know, I, I think sometimes we wonder what is the will of God for our lives. And I think it's pretty clear. He says it right here. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, if, if you're not a follower of, of Christ today, you might, you might be exempt from this. You're, you're not the one who's been told to go and make disciples. So don't feel any pressure if you're visiting. We're glad you're here. But if you are a follower of Christ, I feel this is for us. And I don't think we can get let off the hook. The more I read about how Jesus talked about this, the less wiggle room that I feel we have. I don't think we can call ourselves followers of Jesus and ignore this. I think our choice has to be that his mission is the greater mission greater than our mission. This isn't easy. The last four years, four or five years, my wife and Mar Margaret and I came to realize that we had our own personal mission that had a big gap between what it was and what the greater mission was, the one that Jesus had for us. And it wasn't that we were, we were shy of telling people about our faith. It wasn't that we didn't want to tell people about Jesus or invite him into the story. The problem was we weren't actively pursuing that. We weren't actually actively pursuing relationships and getting to know people who didn't know about God. And so when we came to that decision point where we had to choose that, it started, for, uh, it started with us, it started with honest conversations with God, with each other, and even in our community group. I remember a moment where we invited our community group into that and they prayed with us. And then we started just putting ourselves out there, trying to be a little bit more aware you know, for me, it started with just my eyes being up and aware when I'm walking between my car and my house, that there might be someone around I could have a conversation with or, or something like that. Being a regular at our local park with our kids, 
choosing to visit the same breakfast spot frequently, we started making some friends there and celebrating the rare moments with others where we have those conversations. We started doing that. For me, the celebrations were just with waves. Like, I, I am so bad at this that I was excited just to get a wave from somebody. And, and you know, I think it's okay to start with a very real understanding of our limitations. I think that's totally fair. That's how Moses responded when God invited him into the, into the story. This is exactly what he said. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? It's a fair question. I think we could ask it too, right? It'd be much simpler for God to do it without us, wouldn't it? He would definitely get it right. So we ask ourselves, who am I to tell people in my life about you? Who am I to convince people to change their whole belief system? Who am I to prove that you even exist? Well, God doesn't answer that question for Moses, and I don't feel he answers it for us today. Because I think that question reveals the truth. We are not enough. So what does God say? And God said, I will be with you. You can take a deep breath. Realize that he is the greater partner. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to get it right all the time. We don't even have to do the heavy lifting. We are not God's gift to the world. He already is. He chooses, though, to go wherever we take him. And the mission we're talking about doesn't work unless we have that humility to understand it's not who we are, it's who we're with that matters. So if you're like me, I've been in moments like this where I've been inspired, but I don't know what to do. I feel all worked up, but I don't know what the action would be. Well, here's the key, invitation. And it could be a simple invitation to conversation. It could be a simple invitation to doing life together, spending moments together. It could be, uh, you know, activities. Uh, my personal favorite is food. I think that's like the best option. Always inviting someone to food. That's a good thing. And when it comes to invitation, that's why we exist as a church. Many of us in this room are only here because someone invited us. Whether it's at this campus, our Claire Lee campus, or even One Church Teal Live. In fact, let me take a moment and just celebrate with One Church Teal Live, if you'll, if you'll spare me a minute here. Did you know that the last two weekends, we broke the 400 barrier at One Church Teal Live? Okay, that means over a weekend, we had more than 400 people in our gatherings virtually through One Church Seal Live. That's amazing. Even, even last night, yeah. So we're glad you're here. And even last night, I think it was the, the greatest attendance we've had on our Saturday gathering last night. And so we know that you are here with us, One Church Seal Live, and you're not just numbers floating in cyberspace. You are here because someone invited you many times because we've had the conversations and we know that they're here with us for those reasons. So 2019. Anyone coming to mind? Anyone that you're having conversations with that you could be thinking about inviting, doing life closer with? If you are truly living your best year ever, then I believe it means others will have their first year ever truly living. And we can't live this out half-heartedly. I believe that. We have to be all in. Pastor Dan, would you help us with that? Definitely. So do you find when you walk into a new year, 
it always seems like you've got so much momentum, you're, momentum and you're thinking like, this is going to be the year. This is going to be the year that I'm going to be all in. And then you stop and you realize, wow, can I really do this? Do you look a little bit like this guy right here? And you're saying, you know, my goal for 2019 is to accomplish 2018 goals, which I should have done in 2017, because I promised them in 2016, and I planned them in 2015. You know, my best year ever, that's a, that's a pretty radical statement, especially for me. A couple of years ago, 2017, I got married. And I guarantee you, my wife's not here, but she would say that was definitely her best year. And then the year after that, <laughs> the year after that, you know, God blessed us with the son. That's him right there. <laughs> and I'm sure if he could formulate a sentence, he'd probably say, yeah, dad, that was my best year ever. You know, so for this to be my best year ever, it's got to be a pretty good year. So we've looked at prioritizing God's kingdom, you know, a culture that is counterintuitive to what um, we see. And then we saw ways that we can invest, praying, uh, giving, serving. But uh, what I want to put forward for you to consider today are uh, two variables, expectations and qualifications. And hopefully that'll make you uh, better equipped to make a choice to make this your best year ever. Uh, but before we go there, uh, let me tell you another quick story about when I was uh, a youth. So I started coming to this church, I've said this a few times when I, when I got the stage, um, grade seven or eight, I was in a youth program during a Sunday morning gathering like this. Uh, my cousin and I were sitting in the back row, and I can remember the youth pastor telling a story. And, and he stopped on a line, he didn't stop on a line like this, but this is the line that got me. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to go to heaven with one foot cut off than go to hell with both feet. And I'm thinking there, I'm looking at my feet, and I'm like, I'm an inspiring basketball player right now. You know, I hear some people laughing over there, but come Saturday mornings, I'll prove that I had an aspiring basketball career. You know, Jesus, Jesus said some pretty radical things, especially to his first followers. You know, and I think he's saying that to us today. So let's listen to some of these direct, all-in expectation encounters Jesus had with the people that wanted to follow him. In Matthew, he said, Another of his disciples said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father, but Jesus told them, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. And then in Luke, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everybody else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Ouch. Can you imagine? The disciples put themselves out there and said, you know what, I'm going to drop everything. Jesus and I want to follow you. And then Jesus calls their bluff says, are you sure you're ready? This is exactly why I love Jesus' approach of all in. You know, if you were journeying with somebody and if you were leading a group, wouldn't you want those followers to be all in? If you were following somebody, wouldn't you want to give that same, same respect, that same all in motivation that you wanted from your people? So looking at these encounters Jesus had with his potential followers, he gave them a choice. You know, I think he's giving us that choice to radically change the course of their lives and ours to follow him all in. So could our response to this radical ask be so vital to making this our best year ever? 
You know, I, I keep saying the word radical, and I, I don't want to make it sound like it's an extreme position or something that's just whimsical or a not calculated decision, but I came across a definition that really stuck with me. Radical, an overhaul of the existing framework. You know, I think that's worth reading again. An overhaul of the existing framework. And I looked at that as a framework of my life. Would you consider the framework of your life? You know, I listed a few things here, what makes up that framework. You know, it comes with past experiences, family, work, friends, time, values, attitudes, thoughts, motives. A lot of things that happen in your life either really crush your framework or there's good things that happen that build up that framework. But what Jesus was asking those first followers, and again, I keep saying us because I think he's speaking to each and every one of us. He was asking us to overhaul this existing framework of our lives, the one that we've built up so well a radical choice that required a radical response. So I imagine the early followers of Christ like me asked, God, do I, Jesus, do I even qualify? You know, they were just regular people like us, you know, government workers, you know, a tax collector, a fisherman, a doctor. They must have been asking, do I qualify? And I think back at so many times when I had this interaction with God, you know, I made a lot of mention to when I used to att when I attended here in my 20s. I used to sit right up there, third row balcony, second from the right, um, perfect spot for you to escape the gathering without anybody talking to you. Uh, if somebody was walking through up there, um, you you had an out because you didn't have to really make eye contact with them. And I had my dad there, which was an amazing scapegoat because I would pretend to talk to him if somebody tried to talk to me. So they're like, "Oh, I don't want to interrupt. Sorry, Dad." But hey, here's Here's what shifted in me. Um, I'm, I'm a bit more of a visual learner, so um, this was my life here. Okay, I was given this book by a friend, challenged to read it, and uh, not this specific book. This doesn't have to be prescriptive for you, so don't run out and buy this book. But uh, what I got out of it was his story, the story of this person's biography. He had this line that was littered throughout the book that said, others before me, others before me. Man, did that resonate. And for me, I started to get back into the church and, and serve a bit more. It started to leak into my, my work life as well. But let me tell you a little bit before that, what would my life look like? You know, I had everybody in your 20s, you're looking for the money. You know, I, holding down a job at Starbucks, you really couldn't do that. Um, you know, my friends, you know, you're thinking about partying. You know, education. You know, this was the central point of my life. This is where I banked on. This is where I was all in. And then everything on the periphery. You know, Jesus, my family, the values that I, that I grew up with here, they all started falling to the periphery. And then this book, it, it really was that all-in moment. And you know, you got to remember, this is where my life changed. I put Jesus in the middle. And what I want to say is that this wasn't a one-time moment. It wasn't just because I read this book. Uh, this wasn't a one-time moment. This was Jesus, and he's still overhauling the framework of my life. I had to put him central. Every day, I had to make this a practice. But what was interesting, he started, his influence started leaking to my family, to now my kid to my friends, to how I manage finances, to how I treat my wife, to my attitudes, to my health, 
You know, and I think there are still other things Jesus is influencing all around here because I put him in the center. You know, I kept saying this, this book, again, not prescriptive. Um, you got to find your own, your own all-in moment. And I think they're always there. And if you're a young adult in this room, you heard about the Young Adults Retreat, I challenge you to, to go to that retreat. That could be your all-in moment. Uh, you might be someone here that's invested so much, and we thank you for that. Maybe your all-in moment is redefining that center and finding other ways to invest. And you know, I want to respect the people that are in this room that might be new, that might be journeying through faith and wondering, all-in moment now, are, are you crazy? Like, I, ju I just got here. Why don't you ask those big questions that you've been struggling with for so long? So, you know, Jesus wasn't asking us to give up, you know, all these important things that I mentioned here. He was asking us to see the important things through the lens of the most important thing, and that was Jesus. So every day, Jesus is inviting me, he's inviting you to look at those important things that we hold so dearly through the most important thing. You know, and maybe if we have these high expectations, if we allow Jesus to qualify us by putting him in the center, friends, I think we can make this the best year ever. So if we are re really radically following Christ, how do we know that in 2019? Are we truly deeper into the kingdom and closer to Jesus? My good friend, Pastor Jonathan, is going to help us figure that one out. All right, so we're partnering with a stronger partner, engaging in God's mission. He's with us and he will be with you. Seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness and he'll give you everything you need. Then, then as Pastor Dan said, how do we know we're going all in? Like, what does it mean to really put Jesus at the center? So if you're like me, I like progress reports along the way. How can I tell I'm going in the right direction? Uh, my wife uh, has a, a scale in our room. I don't like this scale because uh, it's, uh, I have good days, I have bad days. Uh, what, I don't know if you're like me. Whatever I eat, I wear. Like whatever I eat, I wear. But uh, for her, it's about evaluating which direction we're going in. Well, what if we had a way of evaluating whether we're getting deeper into the kingdom and closer to Jesus throughout 2019? to do some spot checks along the way. So I wanna help you with that. Do you guys know what this is? This is a marvel of engineering technology. It is a marvel of engineered technology because it's an oil dipstick. This thing has been designed to reach way down into a combustible engine, this incredible thing of many moving parts, and it reaches way down into it so you can measure the amount of oil in that engine, which is critically important. I found that out in my early 20s with my first vehicle where I let the oil run out and the engine seized. This is critically important that you're checking your oil. Now, some of you didn't even know you had one of these on your vehicle. Now you do. Here's the interesting thing. In God's kingdom, he gives us a dipstick to understand how deep we are into the kingdom of God and whether Jesus is actually at the center of our life. He's given us a tool that we can at any point in time kind of take our pulse and see, am I closer to Jesus? Am I deeper in the kingdom or am I not? So before I tell you what that dipstick is, let me tell you what it's not. It's not information. It's not more information about God. 
Now, some of us can go down a spiritual path and we fill our minds and thoughts with more information. You can memorize scripture. You can do all of those things. But those are not great indicators of whether you're deeper in the kingdom. They're good, but not a great indicator. No, morality. Some people judge their spirituality based on their behavior. Some people have this way of just aligning themselves up that they're living this life that is right. But you'll see in a moment, that's not enough. And for some people, it's fruitfulness. It's they're busy doing things in the kingdom in the name of Jesus. And so they say, well, I'm doing all this stuff for God. I must be deep in the kingdom. I love how the gospels, if you ever get a chance to read them and you've never read them, read them. They're amazing. We get practical examples up close and personal. There's this group of people called the Pharisees. If you read the Bible, you know who they are. They did all of this incredibly well. They had more information than most of us probably in this room. They memorized the first five books of the Bible. They had them memorized, committed to memory. It was called the Torah. They had memorized that. I have trouble memorizing a verse, let alone books of the Bible. The whole first five books of the Bible, they would have memorized. They had a lot of information about who God was. They knew a lot about God. Morality, they were known for their righteousness. They were people who kept the law. They prayed daily, many times. They fasted, they tithed, they served. Certainly in terms of fruitfulness, they were devoted. But Jesus warns us over and over. He says some tough things in scripture. At one point he says this, there will be people that on the day of judgment will come to me and they'll say, God, I did this in your name. I attended this. I served the poor. I taught Sunday school. I cast out demons in your name. I did all these things in your name. And Jesus is going to say, listen, I'm going to stop you right there. Go away. I never knew you. I was never at the center. You, you did those things, but maybe you were serving for what you were getting out of it. It wasn't for me. It wasn't motivated through me. It was for what you were getting out of it. There's sobering words and warnings there that really, it's important. We, every once in a while, put the dipstick in. And I love God's kingdom dipstick because it reaches inside the complex heart and spirit and soul of a human being. You know what the, the key is? You want, want to know what the level is? What is that indicator that we are deeper in the kingdom of God? You're not going to like it. You might like it. Maybe. It, it, it's love. It's love. The question for all of us throughout 2019 to see how deep we are in the kingdom is all of my activity, all my serving, giving, praying, inviting people, is all my activity making me more loving towards other people and more loving towards God or not? Now, this type of love, though, is not just this frilly love. Let me explain it. John chapter 11, there's this famous account, this incredible story, and on it, it displays the type of love that we get to measure how deep we are in the kingdom. There's two sides to love in this story. In John chapter 11, the characters are Jesus, a man named Lazarus, and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. So Lazarus, Mary, and Martha are a family. Jesus loves his family a whole lot. Here's the context. Lazarus has tragically passed away. And Mary and Martha are at the funeral, and Jesus is showing up. 
Martha hears Jesus has arrived, and she runs out and goes and finds Jesus on the road. And Martha says this to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been there, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus begins to engage Martha. He confronts her with truth, actually. He, he eventually says this famous verse. He says, Martha, he says, listen, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. The story goes on. He says a lot of things to Martha there. And then Mary realizes that the te- someone tells her the teacher's here. And Mary goes and finds Jesus. And Jesus, Mary says this, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. You notice the pattern? They've been colluding somehow. It's the same statement over and over. But Jesus responds very differently to Mary than he did Martha. Jesus says this to Mar- uh, says, when Jesus saw her weeping, saw Martha weeping. So Martha came, or, or saw Mary weeping. Mary came to Jesus with tears. And he saw the other people wailing with her. This is interesting. A deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus weeps. It's puzzling. Because if you read the whole story, you know Jesus already knows what he's going to do. Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the grave. This funeral is about to become a party. And he knows that's going to happen, but he's weeping with them. Why? Jesus is showing us two sides of love that are critically important, and it's the way you can tell whether you're deeper in the kingdom. See, depending on your temperament or personality, you lean to one side or the other. Every one of us in this room, we either lean towards being a fixer or a feeler when it comes to love. A fixer is that person that uh, when, when they're loving, they're the ones finding solutions. They're the ones fixing things. They get kind of logical and practical about things. And it's always about like, okay, we're facing this difficulty, so let's just do this. Come on, buck up. We can do this. That's the fixer. The feeler, well, the feeler, when they show love, they come alongside you. They care about you. There's a warmth there. They console you. They comfort you. See, the fixer and feeler are in the story. Martha is the fixer, and Mary is the feeler. If you've read the Bible, you know there's another famous account. Martha and Mary are at their home with Lazarus. This is before he died. And company comes. A great group of people show up at the house. If you know the story, Martha goes into the kitchen and begins to prepare meals for everyone. Why? She's a helper. She's a fixer. She's trying to, people are going to be hungry. How is she going to show love? I'm going to be, prepare something for them. I'm going to make sure they're okay. Her sister Mary, who's the feeler, what does she do? Well, for Martha's opinion, nothing. <laughs> but for Mary, being with the people is more important than doing for the people. And so she, what is she doing? She's with them. She's engaging and talking with them and connecting with them. Very different ways of loving. Very different ways of relating. And in the story, they're both there. Both of them. But what's interesting, notice Jesus in the story. He's the one I want you to focus on. Both of the women say the same thing. Jesus, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. But Jesus responds to each of them very differently. 
With Martha, he speaks. With Mary, he's virtually speechless. With Martha, he's bold about his triumph. I am the resurrection and the life. With Mary, he seems weak, even troubled. With Martha, he confronts her. If you read the text, he confronts her unbelief. With Mary, he enters into the flow of her heart and feels the pain she's feeling. He weeps with one, he confronts with the other. He, with Mary, he says little to say. With Martha, he has a lot to say. Martha, or Jesus gives Martha truth. And Jesus gives Mary tears. Is that because Martha couldn't handle tears? Or that Mary couldn't handle the truth? No, no. Martha's a fixer. She needs to know there's hope and truth, and then she'll cry later. Mary's a feeler. If you'll cry with her, her ears are open to hear the truth then. All of a sudden, she's available for truth. Friends, here's how you know you're deeper in the kingdom. If you're a fixer in this room, you start to feel for the people around you. It's not just getting on the solution side. It's entering in and understanding how they feel. If you're, if you're a feeler in this room, all of a sudden you're valuing truth. You're not just coming and consoling people, you're coming with truth that are, is actually going to help people. Here's the interesting thing about fixers and feelers in life. They tend to marry each other. <laughs> and everything's great at the beginning. I'll tell you why. Because fixers like feelers. They're kind of fascinating. Look at these people, kind of emotional, and they, they have a way of connecting with people. They're always thinking, we should have these people over, or I wonder how they're doing. And they're kind of passionate about life. There's just their vitality there. So fixers love feelers. And feelers love fixers because they help. They move things forward. They're thinking of the details that they got to get done before you go on vacation. They're not going to wing it. They've got to itinerize. It's all ready to go. They're, they're fixers. And so feelers love that. Isn't that neat? But when they're in conflict, not so much. See, fixers come, and they're going through a tough time, and fixers come with solutions, answers, because it's about the truth. They're going to bring the truth. Hey, come on now, babe. Oh, this is what we got to do. We got to do this, this, this. Come on. Buck up. Let's get this done. Let's not waste time on emotions. Let's get this done. Let's fix this. But truth without tears feels cold. Doesn't sound loving. Sounds condescending, as my wife once told me. <laughs> and on the inverse of that, friends, tears without truth, and we come along and we get emotionally engaged and everything else, but we're not going to move forward. You can't help anyone. We're of no help. When you know you're deep in the kingdom, we're both. Jesus is neither feeler or a fixer. He's both. The deeper you're in the kingdom, it doesn't mean you won't have a leaning. It just means you are now able to empathize with people more, with why they're at where they're at. When you see people stuck in systemic poverty, you're not judging them saying, well, you just got to get up and get a job and get to work. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Cold. Instead, you're entering in and going, there's probably contributing factors who have led people to this difficult spot. I want to feel their pain, but I want to come with truth to be able to help people move forward in life. Now, why is this important? This is how you can tell whether you're in the kingdom. Whether you're deeper in the kingdom is you'll increasingly become loving like Jesus. You're fixed on him. 
All of your serving will flow through that. This is important though, because in challenges like this, in these three weekends where we've challenged you to serve and to give and to pray and even to invite today as Pastor Matt talked, being a part of that invitation, if you're a feeler in this room, you're like, sign me up. Sign me up. I'm going to go serve. I'm going to find a place to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do this as long as you feel like doing it because you're a feeler. So in the moment, it's easy for you to emotionally engage and you think, yeah, I'm going to make it my best year ever. It's going to be awesome until February hits. Until it gets hard. If you're a fixer, you don't even usually go there. Because the fixer's going like this. Well, man, give. I don't have a budget. No, no, I can't afford to give. Invite someone. I already know what my friends are going to say. Serve. I don't have time to serve. Friends, if you're going to endure, endure in, in 2019 and make it your best year ever, you need to become both a fixer and a feeler. A feeler in that you are passionately engaged. Your emotions are important to be engaged if you're going to follow through. But a fixer that you're strategically engaged. I'm going to follow through on this. I need both together. A fixer and a feeler go all in with Jesus and he begins to round us out. So we become both. We'll always have a leaning, but we're able to empathize and we're able to bring truth better. Now, let me give you a reason to go all in for Jesus. Because I don't think having your best year ever is a good enough motive. I think it's a little self-serving if you're not careful. Here's why I would say to anyone online or in this room, why I think you should go all in for Jesus. I think you should go all in with Jesus because he went all in with you. He went all in with you, friends. I make very few guarantees in this life, but I guarantee if you get at the end of 2019 and you sought God's kingdom with all your heart and you live righteously, I guarantee you will never regret that. You will never regret the serving you did, the praying you did, and the giving you did. You will never regret that at the end of this coming year. See, Jesus went all in. It's very interesting in that passage. I'll end with this. The story ends, and it says this in John chapter 11. When Jesus saw them weeping, he became deeply angry. You notice that? And it goes on to say, quaking with rage as he approached the tomb. What? what? Why is he angry as he approaches the tomb? See, Jesus comes to the tomb with tears. But thank God he doesn't just come with tears. Jesus is the, is the feeler. He feels the weight of the pain of the situation, but he's the fixer. He comes to that, towards that tomb, and he is the fixing what was previously unfixable. He is fixing death itself. And death dares him in this moment. You touch Lazarus, Jesus, and I'll touch you. And Jesus says, come on. Come on then. And you know what happened. Lazarus is risen from the grave, but we know this what happened. Death did touch Jesus. And Jesus was buried deep in the grave. And from that position and vantage point, he stepped all over death so that he would be the resurrection and the life that whoever would believe in him would never experience final death, but everlasting life. You want to make it your best year ever? Go all in with Jesus. Seek his kingdom, live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. I'm going to invite you to stand right across this room. We're going to sing that song that Pastor Richard sang earlier in just a moment. But I'm going to invite you to do something that might feel a little different today. 
We're not going to invite a prayer team to come or others to pray with you. Although at the end of our gathering in our prayer room, some of our pastors will be there. If you're here and you're going through something, you want someone to pray with you. Or if you're online, you just go, uh, press that button, someone to pray with you, and there'll be someone there for you. But instead, in this place, I, I want to turn this place into an altar. Now, that sounds like old language, because it is. It's borrowed from the old part of the Bible, the Old Testament part of the Bible. And an altar was a place where something died and something surrendered. And I'd like to invite you to build an altar where you are tonight, today. At the end of our gathering, we'll keep singing. And you can come to this front of the church if this is helpful. Just find a place to pray. pray. But wherever you are, online or in this room, I would invite you to bring... 2019 to God. This is helpful for me. If it is for you, I'd ask you to do it. I'm going to hold my hands out like this, like I'm holding this coming year in my hands so I can offer it to God. Would you do that? If you're comfortable, you don't have to, but I'm going to say a simple prayer. And if this is where you're at, we have a way of just surrendering this year to him and allowing our lives to be centered around Jesus. So Father, We hold 2019 in front of us. We're unsure of everything that's going to happen to us in 2019. Undoubtedly, there will be some good things. Undoubtedly, there will be some tough things or trying things. We don't know, but God, we are thankful you know. You already know, God. So God, I surrender 2019 to you. And God, I want to invest in your kingdom this year. God, I pray that in my heart today, I choose to put Jesus at the center of my life. Forgive me of anything that would take away or distract or try to get to the center other than Jesus. And all the good things in my life that could distract me, I say they come second. I come second to Jesus and his kingdom. Because I know, Lord, with you at the center, You'll inform the way I treat family, friends, work, health, money, all of those things in life. So Jesus, your way over my way. (laughs) Your words over my words. So God, help me to live righteously this year. I know I won't be perfect, so I'm going to need your grace. God, would your grace just be dripping in my heart and life? May I be quick to come to you in hours of need and in moments where I have, I, I've, I've done something that has broken my relationship with you. I just want to rely on your grace. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to walk in your will, God. And Lord, as I invest in serving and praying and giving in friendships and in inviting people to join your journey, God, I surrender my agenda for your agenda this year. God, I want to have my best year ever. And I know that starts with you. And it will end with you. And I know you will be with me. In Jesus' name, amen. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.